Welcome to today's episode of Fire in the Belly. This is where we get to hear some pretty inspiring stories from some amazing people. You know, it's always an absolute pleasure to sit down, take time out and have a warts and all conversation about their journey. I'm always intrigued by what it's taken for people to get to where they are today. And hopefully in this interview, we get to hear some more about that. From this, my mission is to help people to find their own fire in their belly. And from that, to live the mightiest version of you. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Hello and welcome to Fire in the Belly. Today we'll have myself, Mighty Pete, and we are joined by the Regina Huber. Good afternoon to you. Good evening, I should say, or good afternoon indeed. Yes, it's afternoon here indeed. It's uh, it's about 2 p.m. in the in the in the afternoon. Wonderful. And good, good evening to you, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll cover them all. Good afternoon, good evening, good night. Right. So. <laughs> Exactly. For everybody watching all over the world, right? That's what it's all about. That's, that's the beauty yeah. of it, right? Zoom and, yeah. you know, traveling and ah, it's great. It's great to be able to chat to yeah. different people. Yeah. So, Regina, yeah. tell us, who are you? What do you do? And where are you from? Yeah, thank you so much, first of all, for having me, because I was really looking forward to this conversation based on our first exchange. So I grew up in Germany. I was born in a tiny little village of about nine houses at the time. Now it's double. (laughs) And uh, I grew up on a farm as the shyest kid in the village. And uh, even then, though, I had this very adventurous spirit inside of me. And this is what I think uh, eventually pushed me out into the world. And it's also that insatiable curiosity that I've ever had inside of me as well. So that uh, what I did is at 19, I moved to Munich to study. And from Munich... Uh, at the age of 26, I moved to Madrid, Spain, just because it was an opportunity. I was actually looking at different options, but they didn't work out. So I said, okay, I mean, here's another one. I'm going to learn Spanish and here you go. And I moved and I'd never been to Spain before, except for this, uh, for the interview for this occasion. And they said, okay, if you speak Spanish in like three months, then you can come. And I, and I did pretty much not perfectly. <laughs> for sure but i studied in every free minute and i moved and that was my first international move and you know it was scary but um, i said okay you know i'm gonna stay for a year or so and if i don't like it i can always go back after a year well i stayed seven years and i also was lucky enough to learn portuguese and do a lot of work in portugal open an office i was uh, working at a global consulting firm at the time So I helped them open an office in Lisbon, Portugal, which is a beautiful city as well. Lucky enough, uh, I was lucky enough to to travel back and forth quite frequently. And then there was a time for me to make a move again. They offered me to help them open an office also in Brazil, in Sao Paulo, a huge city, you know, totally different dimension. Again, it seemed like, okay, Munich was about 1.5 million at the time, Madrid, a little over 4 million. And then I went into the 20 millions and that was quite, you know, quite interesting in the beginning, but it was just a really beautiful challenge. I stayed there for about half year, moved back to Germany, did some international projects, mostly European but I had always one foot out of the country, even when I was back in Germany, because I'm probably such an international spirit. So I uh, I moved again, and this time to to Argentina with an 
an ex-colleague who opened an opened a business there. And uh, that's uh, when the crisis soon hit Argentina. So I couldn't stay too long because they couldn't really pay me anymore after a certain time. And BCG hired me back, the global consulting co company in uh, San Francisco. I moved to San Francisco. I know it's a long story, but it's sort of a little bit to give you the gist of who I am, because I do have a very multicultural and very eclectic background. So after the three and a half years in San Francisco, I moved back to Argentina and I I just packed up and I said, OK, I'm going to open a bed and breakfast. You know, <laughs> I love tango also and all the other dances that I learned along the way. And so I spent uh, some a few years in Argentina. Then I somehow got drawn to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. I moved again. And that's when I had a more challenging experience. You know, we all, all have our ups and downs and our challenges. And some of these are, of course, our biggest opportunities to learn and grow. In hindsight, it's always easy to say that when you're in the midst of it, less so. And uh, yeah, so anyway, I opened another business in which I had invested two years and all, my, all the money I'd ever made in my life. And I ended up having to close it because of a fraudulent business partner. I lost a lot of money. I lost my business. I lost my self-esteem, my confidence that I built up so diligently over the years from this shy little girl in the village. And uh, but I decided, OK, my next station is New York City. So I started from scratch again, rebuilding everything, including my confidence. And uh, yeah, and I and I was trying to figure out at the time how all of these eclectic puzzle pieces and how all this experience as you know in management positions and as a business owner dealing with corruption and all that all that comes with it uh, sometimes uh, how could fit all of this experience into something meaningful that I could make an impact with. And this is how Transform Your Performance was born. Transform Your Performance is my current business. It's a coaching, speaking, and uh, yeah, and training business. And uh, I'm a transformational leadership coach, inspirational speaker, and also author of the book, Speak Up, Stand Out, and Shine, and uh, do a lot of different things, frankly. <laughs> Wow. Well, congratulations on becoming an author. It's always fun. You know, there's always uh, how did you find that process? Did you enjoy writing the book? I did. You know, when I came up from uh, Brazil, as I said earlier, I had to rebuild my confidence and I had to start speaking in front of audiences at the beginning, smaller audiences, but also at networking events and just even introduce myself to people with a business that was even still in its, you know, in its uh, initial stage. And I didn't have enough clarity to talk about it even, but I had to. And that's when I came up with a lot of tools that helped me prepare physically, mentally, and energetically for those situations. And uh, I later put those into the book because I found that they also served my clients and they could serve other people to prepare for speaking, presentations, negotiations, or whatever your challenging situation is in business. Wow. So tell me, I mean, what, what, what does fire in the belly mean to you? Fire in the belly for, to me means that in a push, it means that, that, urge to create something that you came here to this earth to create and to make an impact with yeah, something that you can almost not resist it's it's the, I, I talk a lot about 
what's your spark? I have two shows actually. One is on winwinwomen.com. It's a Wednesday, 2 p.m. Eastern time show every Wednesday, except for this week because it's Thanksgiving week. And when we are, we're still in the beta phase, but it's going to be on the main platform uh, next year. So anyway, so I speak about, you know, what's your spark? And I, I want to inspire people and, and in this case specifically women to find their spark and to ignite that fire in their belly as you're saying right and i also have a linkedin live show every tuesday morning where i interview women all over the world to find out what their spark is mm. and what what's been what, what's the most common answer then what are most people what is their spark it's very unique. So everybody has a unique own spark. We all are born with the, our unique brilliance. In my work, I call this your distinctive uniqueness. And we all are a genius in our own ways. We just got to uncover what that genius is. And that's not always an easy task because we go to school. We sometimes are educated out of our genius almost, right? Our, our, we're not used to finding that brilliance. We're not taught to find that brilliance because we're all going to the same types of schools. They are a little bit of like a cooker cutty system, uh, a, a cookie cutter system, sorry. <laughs> and uh, they, um, you know, and, and we are supposed to fit in, but, but that's not what our purpose is usually about. It's about not fitting in, about living our very unique purpose. And that purpose is usually aligned with the talents that we came to this earth for, uh, with, and, uh, and that we're supposed to use. And uh, that's why I think it, it's so interesting to talk to all these women, because everybody has a very unique own spark. And it's usually the combination of all our talents, strengths, skills, expertise, stories, and all of that, that makes us unique and that allows us to make that unique impact. And that's why I'm having those conversations to really see that distinctive uniqueness in each of them. And tell me, what, what, what was the changing point for you? What was the point when you decided that actually this is, this is bigger than you? This is a message that mm -hmm. has to be got out and you know, you have enough energy and idea and inspiration to transform people, not just yourself. Yeah, it's a, it, it's a very interesting question because it sometimes starts at a point where it's not clear yet. Mm. Uh, so I think it, 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 it's a very big internal process, right? Mm. It, there was not one specific trigger. Mm. There was a trigger for me to move to New York for sure, but uh, the, the, the transformational offering that I now have for, for my clients or for my audience evolved over time. So initially I wanted to also work with uh, performing artists because I love dance. I didn't grow up with it, but I, but I came to love dance and it's one of my favorite pastimes. So uh, I, as I was trying to figure that out, as I was meeting people and speaking with people, it crystallized somehow as a main content to help people with their transformation. And this transformation is very, it, it's, it's manifold. It's not just one type of transformation. I, I talk, um, I, I have created my own signature coaching framework, which I call the powerful leadership transformation, but it's a lot about self leadership. It is a lot about the things that I had to learn 
And I think that's the same for many coaches. They teach what they had to learn, like a self-empowering mindset. While I was going through that painful situation in Brazil, I had to make a decision to step out of victim mode and into a self-empowering mindset to be able to create this positive change. And I had to be able to upgrade my business presence and my speaking presence in order to be seen and heard, or nobody would pay attention to me. A lot of that I also learned through dance. So this is how dance also flows into this work. And I had to use my the tools that I had learned and the knowledge I had acquired during my holistic healing studies. That's another big passion of mine. And 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 to see how they, you know, how, how I could use them for myself, but also how, how they could use how, how this knowledge could flow into my transformational work to serve my clients. And I think it's all this combination of all these experiences and all this knowledge, even also dealing with corrupt authorities and becoming more resilient in the process, becoming more persistent in the process and staying in integrity and never paying anybody off. You know, that was a big learning for me. And all of this then came together into my own transformation, which now, of course, enables me to to help others with their transformation. I hope this is <laughs> a yeah. satisfying answer. <laughs> well, I'm just curious. I mean, what what's the difference for you then between motivation, inspiration and transformation? Because transformation seems to be very mm -hmm. key and core to your message. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the transformation is something that everybody does for themselves. I can guide people into transformation, but they do it themselves. They transform themselves. Mm. And I, I will not be able to transform them. I also always say I can not empower you. No one can empower you but yourself, really. Mm. If you really, you know, go to the gist of what that means. Because I always, when I talk about power, I speak about inner power, not power over others, right? And then uh, inspiration is I can inspire you to do something. But then again, I believe that your motivation lies within you. Sorry. So I think your motivation lies within you. You know, uh, can I motivate you to do something? I'm not sure. I mean, you have to have a motive. You have to have something that you want so that you will take action. Yeah, but I can inspire you to take that action through my words, through my example, through the work I do. Yeah. The transformation takes the person themselves to empower themselves to, mm -hmm. to actually do it for them. And that's about the wall stick as opposed to, you know, the words, as you say, motivational, but they do wear off, right? Right. Yeah, I've never become great friends with the word motivational speaker. And, you know, everybody's, of course, free to use the term they want. But I believe that motivation and, and you could poss possibly define it in different ways, right? It depends on how you define it. But I believe that motivation lies within us. That's just my personal belief. Hmm. No, it's very, very true. I mean, I, I tend to agree. It's inspiration and motivation are lovely, but they they... They do take time and energy and, you know, they need to be sort of kept, kept in momentum, whereas mm -hmm. transformation is something that essentially changes the core of who you are. So it, mm -hmm. it doesn't take energy to, to maintain that because it's, it's just a different recipe now. It's a different, you're a different human, a different being. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. And in the coaching, I always tell my coaching clients when they start out working with me, we will be working on situations, specific situations. So in this sense, the coaching is situational, but whatever you learn through those situations, as we go through them, that will help you to transform. So then you take it with you for the rest of your life. Yeah. No, that, very true. It, yeah. Yeah. That, that's exactly what you just said. <laughs> No, it's, it's so, I mean, who do you tend to find yourself working with? I mean, who's, do you have a particular niche, a particular, um, you know, client that actually you resonate with the most? Yeah. I have found over time that the women I can help the best are mid-tier women employees who are sort of, you know, mid-leadership level, mid-management level, and they want to reach their next career goal. I have also worked with executives, of course, and I have also worked with with all levels to call it something. It's not, you know, for lack of a better word. I have also worked with entrepreneurs and with some men very successfully, and I always love to do that. But my main niche is mid-tier women employees and being based in New York City, what was most natural or what came most natural was to work with a lot of women in financial services, also quite a few women in tech and, uh, of course, some other industries as well. Mm. Do you think, I mean, like with a lot of coaches, do we resonate most with who we were, who we've become or on the, on the path that we are? I mean, that seems to be quite common with a lot of coaches, you know, cause that's, that's closest to our version of our story, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I did have management positions at, at BCG in the past in several different countries and continents. And uh, of course, I can contribute a lot about that. Of course, now I've grown into somebody else and uh, I have a different role. Right. And if I weren't in this role now, I wouldn't be able to help these women because we wouldn't uh, probably be working together. <laughs> so but but yes, my 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 past learnings, because I was thrown into the cold water a lot at uh, 26. When I moved to Spain, a year later, I was promoted to the head of office of Spain. And then I, you know, uh, another year or two later, I was head of office of both offices, Portugal and Spain. So I did not have any relevant experience. I did not have HR experience. I did not, or I should say, I, sh I thought I did not have any relevant experience. You know, I didn't, hadn't studied anything that had to do with management or with leadership, but somebody saw that potential in me. And I want to see the potential in my clients that they might not see. For example, I learned a lot by doing, but I also sometimes wish, you know, that I could have had some guidance that I could have had a mentor or a coach who could have helped me along uh, a little bit faster and make it easier. Right. So, so it's just what it is. It was, it, I, I don't regret anything. I, you know, not even the, the hard, uh, lessons I have lived so many adventures and really some crazy ones, some really nice ones, some painful ones, and I wouldn't exchange it for anything. And I think that's what makes the richness of my point of view. That's what has made me very open-minded. And that's also what help, now helps me to intuitively pick up more possibilities and more potential for my client that they might not even be seeing. Mm. Is intuition important for you? 
it's extremely important. So uh, there's a lot to this question, right? First of all, I believe that when I made my most painful experience, I did not follow my intuition. I did not really uh, listen to my heart. And I, I, I wanted to do this. It, the, the, the collaboration with that person was probably the easy way out to not do it on my own because I'd, I felt like I'd done everything in my life by myself, pretty much. <laughs> I never had a, a role model as such. So I, I had to find my own way. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden there was this, this person who already had a name and it was just like, okay, let's do this. Right. I was already also, you know, had a different relationship uh, with that person too, as a friend and, and for some classes and so on. So it was just almost a natural decision, but I didn't take the time to listen to my intuition. And I also didn't do maybe enough due diligence. Although I think that Intuition is the most important part because so-called facts are oftentimes not facts anyway. Mm. So, you know, and, and that's also why one of the reasons why I have added heart set to my powerful leadership transformation signature framework. So one of the pillars of that is a self-empowering mindset and heart set, because I believe that if we don't listen to our heart and really connect with it, and that's also connected with intuition, right? Then we then we miss out on at least 50% of our intelligence and mostly our unique wisdom. And we miss out on courage. You know, courage is most easily accessible in our hearts. Uh, the, the, the words courage and, and, and heart have the same root in many languages even. Just, uh, for example, in French, Courage, cœur in, in, in all the Latin languages, right? Coraggio, cuoro, Italian, and in uh, Spanish and Portuguese, the same. And even the old word for for mood, for 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 courage in, in German is related to the German word Herz, which is my native language, right? Mm. So yeah. So it's really interesting how it all fits together and how. That's why I also created some videos about heart set and about how to access the wisdom and the intelligence of your heart for, for my YouTube channel. Wow. It's, and tell me, I mean, obviously, you, you what, do you have a passion for languages? I mean, you, you seem I to do. have a lot of languages, so. I do. Uh, yeah, I always loved languages. And when I was, you know, little, my dad sometimes ask me, so what do you want to do? You know, what do you want to study? And I said, I want to study languages, but I also didn't really know what other options I would have had. I grew up on a farm. My parents had their own life, you know, lots of experience in their own way, but there was nobody really to orient me on my options. And, uh, there was no internet, of course. So I said, okay, I'm going to study languages. I, I combine it with economics uh, and I started studying languages. And of course at school, the first language I studied was Latin, <laughs> which I wouldn't be able to speak, but it gave me a great basis for all the, all the uh, languages of Latin origin, right? So hmm. Spanish, Portuguese, Italian, I speak a little bit. I it would have been the easiest language for me. I, you know, Bavaria is not far from Italy, so we had quite a few Italians, and we would sometimes go for vacation 
as soon as I could drive myself because my parents couldn't really leave the farm for uh, long vacations, right? But um, that's how I learned to love the Italian language, but I never studied it fully, so I understand it quite well. Then uh, I, studied, I started studying at school also English and French. Mm-hmm. And later on, just before moving to Spain, I learned Spanish and later Portuguese, European Portuguese. When I moved to Brazil, that changed quite a bit because it sounds completely different and it's a, almost a different language. So they were making fun of me, like they were saying, Ela fala Portuguese, mas Portuguese de Portugal. So I, <laughs> I changed that really quickly. <laughs> and I love both versions, you know, I, I love them both. Language is so rich. We can learn so much about the culture through language. We can learn how people think through learning their language. Mm. You know, there are certain words that are not really translatable. I don't, to date, I can transcribe the, the Portuguese word saudade, but there's no really good translation for it, for example. Because I'm fascinated. So, I mean, this, this love of languages... And then the other side is this, this heartfelt intuition, you know, and it, it's because mm-hmm. um, I mean, we all say like, you know, words are perfectly imperfect, right? You know, there's, there's good as we've got, right? But yeah, I mean, you've, mm-hmm. and you've studied the words in several languages, but do any of them come closer to, to interpretation, to genuinely describing feelings, describing emotions, describing intuition? I believe that. You know, the Latino world has a lot of that emotional expression in it, right? So when you look at the German language, it's very rich language, just as any other language, but just in its own way. And uh, it is a very expressive language, a very complex language. And on the other hand, you know, especially the Spanish spoken in Latin America is, has a lot of expressions that are very emotionally, uh, yeah, emotionally related, I would say. More, more a little bit on the sweeter side. Yes. Hmm. I, I really love that. You know, this, the Spanish, European Spanish language can also sound a bit harsher also because of its sound, because that changes too. of course, the pronunciation changes. In that sense, it's maybe a little bit closer to German than than the other Spanish accents. But uh, yeah, it's, it's just uh, so interesting to. To observe that, but also to automatically start distinguishing the different accents over time just through practice i mm. was quite amazed by that you know and it was funny because every time you know I, when i moved to argentina after living in spain for a long time and even after spending time back in germany and and in san francisco they always called me uh la gallega la gallega means uh, the the person from you know Galicia in Spain, and because they call all Spaniards gallegos, so they thought somehow I was Spanish because I had such a strong European Spanish accent in my Spanish. And then the funny thing though, I, while I was in, while I moved to Spain, they thought I was English, 
And while I was living in Spain and going to Portugal, although I was speaking Portuguese already at the hotel, they would always address me in, in Spanish because they thought I was somehow Spanish too. So it's always like, and then I moved to Brazil. And so then they said, oh, a gaúcha, which they call the Argentinians gaúchos. So I was, it feels like with my language accent, I was always from somewhere else, you know, <laughs> right now. It's probably closest or in English, it's probably still closest to my German accent. <laughs> where, where, do you, where do you consider home out of interest? Where, where is most homely for you? Where do you feel most connected? See, it's a really interesting question because it changes over time. I felt very much at home when I was in, uh, in, in Madrid after a few years. Okay cost me a little bit of time. It was also my first move abroad. And of course, in the beginning, when you don't speak a language fluently, it's more challenging too. But um, so, yeah, that was that. And then uh, it was it was a big change when I moved away, for sure. Then uh, when I moved to Argentina, there was a big attachment as well. And I actually was in Argentina twice, you know, just like in Brazil. And Rio de Janeiro, it was I had a really hard time to say goodbye, but somehow I knew I had to, and I wanted to initially split my time between the two locations, New York and Rio de Janeiro, which is why I left all my stuff there for a year, which was not a great idea. But anyway, I, I figured that out too eventually. So, uh, you know, and but it was also splitting the energy too much between the two locations. But I did love Rio de Janeiro with all the difficulties I was going through there and all the challenges. I still have a, it, it has a special place in my heart. I love the dancing there, dance a lot and uh, dances that I cannot find in any other location, some of them. And uh, it's just the most beautiful place. They have the ocean, the, the beach and the city. You have the rainforest in the city, a beautiful climate. You know, I do really well with heat. So yeah, so it, it it's just, and then New York, I. I really loved New York. I just really didn't love it so much when this whole this whole restriction started. So I decided to really go on a more nomadic lifestyle again for a while. And that's what I've been doing since. Uh, literally, um, you know, while New York is still my base and, and it's my the base of my business. And I'm I'm planning to keep it so at least for now and probably the next few years. So I, I just had a need to, you know, break out of, I, I'm a very freedom loving person. So you cannot close me up anywhere. You cannot, you know, you cannot tell me don't do this, don't do that or do this, do that. And uh, so, and I always say everything I do is in the service of freedom. And as my book title, the freedom to speak up, stand out and shine. And I felt that that was just not great at the time. All my engagements had been canceled for, for eight months or so. Well, maybe not eight, maybe six months or so. Uh, and uh, I was going to travel again anyway, but those travel uh, engagements and all of that have been canceled. So I just gone, come back to New York from a month in Uganda and a month in Rwanda last year. And then I said, OK, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to go on the road again. I spent a few, well, about six weeks in Mexico. I spent several months in Germany last year, back with my family in the countryside, which I hadn't done in the longest time and which I learned to love again 
really on a deep level because I'd never had time for that when I was just going back for a week or two. And uh, I learned to so deeply appreciate it again. And then uh, I went to Miami, going back from Miami to New York all the time, spent some time there. And uh, yeah, and then now I'm, uh, I've been uh, in, this is my, I think, fourth state in, in just like three weeks. So I flew from Miami to El Paso, Texas, from El Paso, Texas. Well, actually, no, I flew to Chicago first, Illinois. Uh, I also went into Wisconsin for a day and then I went to El Paso, Texas. And now I'm in Denver this week. And the next station is going to be Las Vegas if everything goes well. From there, I'm going back and uh, and then moving into different directions. My first plan was really to go to Madagascar or potentially Tanzania. And uh, the the borders were still closed. So it was just uh, a bit, you know, less planable at the time. And they're going through some challenges too right now. So I said, okay, I'm going to give myself a little bit of time just go on a, on a more domestic trip first and then take it from there. Mm. Gosh, it's, I mean, it's obviously traveling is in your blood or it's something you obviously enjoy with a passion anyway. It's just, yeah. Well, what is it? Is it connecting with people? Is it the language? What is it yeah. with traveling? Yeah. Yeah. I like to say I'm a passionate nomad. <laughs> I somehow never can stay, you know, in a, in, in one place very long, although I love to have a base that's for sure, because it just gives, gives us some stability, of course. And it just makes it a bit easier because it's also strenuous to move around and, you know, then you accumulate things again, stuff, as I call it stuff. Right. And I don't have any furniture at this point or hardly any, but I, you know, I, I, you still have stuff and we have things that you, we don't want to let go of. I've practiced a lot of detachment in my life. It's one of my life lessons, I guess, but, uh, I am still attached to certain things like photos, like certain clothes and whatnot. I think most of us are, and, uh, just to shift that stuff around all the time, you know, can, can require energy and to travel requires energy and adapt and, and, and explore, but it's also a, a very enriching process. So over the past few years, I have been traveling more in actually in, uh, in Africa on the African continent. It started a few years back in Ghana. From there, I went to speak at a conference in South Africa, made lots of really awesome con connections. And uh, then later on, I co-hosted a, a conference in Cameroon, in Yaoundé with two other women. Uh, and uh, from there, you know, I've, I've now been back to South Africa several times to speak and, and train and uh, probably a total of about four and a half months in South Africa, mostly in Johannesburg, but also some other places. And uh, then I went to also a month to Uganda and a month to Rwanda. And when I came back in 2020, I was supposed to go back to Rwanda end of March, but then of course, I, you know, apart from the local speaking engagements that were canceled as of March 9th, that would have been my first in New York. Uh, of course, all these trips were canceled as well. So, you know, no more, no more Rwanda, South Africa, Kenya, Nigeria I had just signed a contract for Nigeria because I trained some Nigerian women in Sweden 
before and made those connections. So these are all, you know, and then also Kansas City a conference in, in, in London, London, right, in, in Hawaii. All of it was canceled. And these are engagements, of course, you know, that we entrepreneurs work for years for sometimes, right, to, to really cultivate those relationships and get it to that point. So that was, of course, disappointing, but I know I wasn't the only one. And I know I had to make the best out of uh, out of the situation. As I say, there's always a gift in any challenge or so-called adversity. Mm. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And I'm just curious then, when it comes into the, the coaching world then, mm-hmm. I mean, that language, are you... Well, what are you looking for when you're talking to someone or when you're, when you're mm-hmm. listening to someone, uh, is, is it the language that you're listening to is it the actions? What is it you pick mm-hmm. up on and, and what's your methods? Mm-hmm. It's a little bit of everything because we cannot really separate uh, these, uh, you know, elements at all. They all play together into who we are, into how we show up, into how, whether we show up powerfully for our careers or for our businesses or for our speaking, whatever it is. And uh, talking to, you know, when we talk about these women in, 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 in corporate careers or in, in at financial firms, they often have a hard time getting what I call positive visibility and effective visibility, meaning they they take sometimes on too many tasks because they think, oh, the more productive I am, the more, you know, somebody will discover me (laughs) and I'm doing all this great work and I'm working so hard and, you know, and someday somebody will discover me and promote me, but that's not how it usually works because I always like to say productivity doesn't get you promoted. What gets you promoted is, is really positive um, visibility and, and setting priorities, setting boundaries, for yourself so you can focus on activities that give you that visibility that make you seen with the people you need to be seen by and and um and remembered by and then i also help them with negotiations and i hear a lot of specific words sometimes you know the other day i was talking to a lady and i said okay so uh how did you negotiate your salary last time when you were promoted? And she said, well, we do not negotiate here. And I said, how do you know? <laughs> did you ask? And she said, no, I just, you know, I just assume. I said, well, if then, and then the next sentence from her was, well, you know what is true? The, the guy who was in my position before me, actually, I found out he was making more money. I said, well, why, why do you think that is, <laughs> you know? So the, I mean, this was something very concrete, but it's oftentimes also like little hints, like little words, you know, like, yeah, because women tend to be their own worst enemies and, and sometimes they realize it, but they don't necessarily know how to quickly change it. And sometimes we just really have to work with our subconscious to internalize that new self-image that we are creating for ourselves, that belief in ourselves, that faith that we can create what we want. Yeah. And a lot of women Mm -hmm. also don't have a vision. And that's often very obvious from how they speak about their plans. They, They have never written a vision, you know. Well, and, is, and it's not women, that? but but it's employees more. I think 
I think it's not, and it's not women. This is more, this is more typical in my experience, at least of employees than it is of entrepreneurs, because maybe they were never encouraged or inspired to, to write a vision. They, they can, maybe they have a goal, but it sort of stands in the room by itself. And once we fit that specific career goal into the bigger picture and the bigger vision, it starts to make more sense. And we start to be more inspired to, to aspire uh, to it. Yes. To really go for it. Because once we understand how that actually fits into our, into a more fulfilled life, I think that's when the real inner motivation starts to happen. Hmm. Well, that's the thing. It's, it's yeah. I mean, is, is it important for you, especially when you're working with people, mm-hmm. uh, do, are people normally stuck at the, the, believe they're stuck at that level or are they trying to change completely how they're at or are they trying to change? What is it about that particular level that you work at? What's yeah. the most common, so, you know, sort of journey where you take them from and take them to? Yeah. Oftentimes, uh, the women want to reach their next career goal or they want to go somewhere else where they can. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, of course, you know, if a company hires me, I'm not going to advise them on, you know, how to get to a different company. Right. But if, if they hire me themselves, which is actually the case for most of my clients, then uh, I can advise them in all senses and we can keep it completely open. And uh, what I am experiencing is that most people think that this is their spectrum of possibilities, while in reality, this is the spectrum of possibilities. And I help them see that. I help them really see their own potential and how unlimited it is really. And, you know, how we can explore more pieces of it and step deeper into it and really develop this self-belief of this unlimited inner power that we all have inside of us. Mm-hmm. And in this way, they build their confidence. And as we know, when we have confidence that we can do something, other people all of a sudden have that confidence in us. They trust us to do that. So, you know, we always told you have to own your value. But before we can own our value, we have to know what it is. And that is oftentimes also a missing piece, you know. Where, mm. where is that value really? What, what is that highest value that you bring to the table? What's the biggest gem in your treasure chest that you might not even have considered yet? Because oftentimes we only look at the hard skills and say, oh, I need this other certification or that other certification, or now I need this qualification to, you know, to get to that level. And oftentimes it's not about that. What's, it's, mm-hmm. what's your biggest skill? My biggest skill, I think, is, well, let's see. My biggest skill is to see the individual challenge and to respond to that. And I think my biggest, what I call asset sometimes, I talk a lot about unique assets, about our unique qualities, uh, is my curiosity. Mm. And where, where is your place of greatest creation?
there's two there's probably two places i have a relatively easy time to write and you know and come up with new content when i have the piece for it and when i don't have to think about a thousand other times i mean when you can really be in the zone right and uh on the other hand i have a great gift to support my clients in the moment without you know having to know everything before a session of course I give my new clients, you know, we have a discovery call where I learn a bunch about them and we figure out whether it's actually the right fit and whether it's going to be a good idea to work together. But then also I give them a starter checklist where they, it's already a, a little bit of a self-assessment tool and a clarity finding tool. And that gives me, of course, a lot more information about where they stand and what they want. But I think that the, the reason why I keep my coaching program very flexible is because people evolve over time as they work with me. And I cannot predict what you need in three sessions. However, when you come in the third session, I can easily help you on the spur of the moment. Mm -hmm. That's good. I mean, if, if you're able to just, as you say, almost just go with your intuition as well to understand mm -hmm. what people want. You know, and, and do, do, I mean, do people, do people, you know, co is there coherence between what they say they want and what they actually want? Do you find, you know, are people that clear or do you find there's often there's, there's, um, there's, there's a lack of clarity between those? Well, sometimes I work with clients who know exactly what they want when they start working with me, like they want a specific promotion. Hmm. And maybe they didn't get it the last time around, or maybe they just want to be better prepared for it and make sure they get it. Yes. So that's a very specific next career goal. But sometimes they come to me because they don't really know what it is they want and they want to figure it out and their tools to figure that out. And we, we walk on that path together and I guide them. And sometimes they think they want, they, they know what they want, but then they get a few opportunities, like, for example, with the, within their own organization, and then they figure out, ah, you know, there's a reason why those don't, didn't come through. There's something better there somewhere for me. And I maybe I only considered these because there was, you know, there was just like, I, there, there seemed to be nothing else, mm. which is not true. Mm. Yeah, it's that, that aspect. So tell me, I mean... <laughs> Where where are you most at home then? Are you generally, is your preference for writing or being on stage or being with clients? I mean, do you have a, a preferred zone of genius for you? I love in-person speaking. So I have, you know, I have been on a few bigger stages and I love the, the groups also uh, in corporate settings or in financial institutions. I spoke a lot in New York City where I go in and it's uh, maybe somewhere from 30 to 60 people, sometimes more, sometimes some join us online as well. That's also where I most easily uh, get clients from indirectly. And uh, it, it's fun because then I can't really directly interact with, with the audience, which I love. You know, it, online speaking is fine, but it's not the same. It's not mm. the same. Uh, this is great because this is a, an online interview. I, I work with my clients online and in coaching situations. Uh, I love that because then I can serve clients not just in my physical location but also beyond and i it gives me mobility but for the speaking i do still prefer the in-person 
And, uh, you know, now, of course, because we haven't done it in a while, you know, it, it's a little bit, it, it, it's a, you know, it creates a little bit of nervous energy again, but then I have the tools in my book to, use to, to mitigate that. And also because of course, you know, we need to change our content, you know, the world has changed and, and I don't want to just bring the same content necessarily that I brought before. So I have to adapt. I also adapt it to my audience a little bit every time, but I do like to do my signature talk. And when it's online, usually a lot of companies, because the setting is different and because I want a specific topic, you know, they, they have you do a presentation, which I can do and I have no problem creating a presentation, but I feel like the most powerful moment for me is when I'm there with my signature talk and I really share ideas that are, that are me. Yes. And that I don't have to adapt to a topic by somebody else. And of course I could convince them, you know, that this is a better topic, but it's also different when you're standing up then, you know, in, in front of an audience and, inter and can make it interactive and people don't multitask because now people are so used to in corporations to multitask when they are in online trainings or, or speaking. And so, you know, they, they, they just automatically do that and they're not even on camera. So it's much harder to engage them right away. They might even miss the beginning because they have it on silent or whatever, on muted. You don't know because they don't, they, they haven't experienced me. They, I don't know what they have experienced before. Right. So, so even when you do a really good job, you might encounter those challenges. So I really love the in-person speaking. I like the writing. Um, of course, you know, English is not my native language, so it might take me sometimes a little bit more, but I do like writing. I published a long article last year for the corporate magazine on courageous leadership. Uh, given the world situation, I thought that was a very relevant topic. And uh, I definitely want to write a new book about all my adventures, because when I tell my adventures, people always say you have to write a book about them. And I might just this time around, I might look for a ghostwriter because I have so many other pieces in my big vision. <laughs> so I'll have to find the right moment or maybe dictate it or something. But uh, yeah, but I like it too. So I can't really, you know, I love the coaching when we're in the session. Uh, but you also have to do the other pieces of the business, you know, so it's just not going away. You also have to do all the, you know, the marketing and that. And uh, it's not always so easy to find the right people uh, that really stand behind your business and understand it. So that can be a bit challenging sometimes to build that team. But I'm uh, I do have a VA who helps me with some of it. But of course, you know, there's still other pieces that I have to do. If I only could do those other fun pieces, that would would, would be ideal, of course, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Wouldn't we all like, yeah. Yeah, well, it's like, you know, find your zone of genius and focus on it, you know, that's what it's all about. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, also we have to, as you say, we have to do some of the stuff we don't particularly love or like, yeah. but um, but that's the whole point of it, right? To, to scale and get your right. message out there. So I mean, you, you, you do see more books out mm -hmm. there. It's something that you enjoy. You know, I mean, do you enjoy the creative process or, you know, is that something, you yeah. know, that um, you find particularly useful? Yes, I do. And I've gotten used to, of course, also doing videos. You know, the first time you do videos a few years back, <laughs> it's scary. It's like weird, <laughs> but now uh, it just comes pretty natural. I, 
I think I have so many ideas lined up of what I could do videos about, what I could write about. Um, sometimes, you know, we need to prioritize uh, a little bit, but uh, I do, I do like that process. Yeah. The creative process is definitely something I like. Hmm. And yeah. also the, 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 the impact that the, the coaching work makes on my client and really seeing their results you know i mean that's just somebody sends me a text or an email even after we started coaching and uh, uh, sorry sorry we stopped coaching together and they say hey you know i just got this promotion because i asked for it and if we hadn't coached together then i would have never asked so i want to thank you sometimes it comes after you know the program finishes so mm -hmm. that just makes my day <laughs> Tell me this, what, what was money Regina like? You know, you're saying she was quite shy, but I mean, what was she like? I mean, was she academic student? Was she, you know, what way was she running into school or out of school? Yeah, I actually liked going to school. I didn't like all the subjects, you know, as most students, I guess. I liked everything that had to do with languages, also with arts, but we didn't probably have enough of that. Yeah. I hated physical education. I hated it with all my heart because I was never good enough and all that, you know, it was very competitive and I was always a last in everything. <laughs> so it's not very pleasant as a kid. And it actually also creates this fear of rejection in us over time. And I had to really deal with that when I, uh, when I have my own business with this fear of rejection of, you know, for example, when it comes to asking for the sale and I had to really move through that subconscious barrier and figure out, you know, what it was all about. But, um, so I didn't like that part later on, you know, now I cannot be without also, I talked about movement before about moving to different locations. I'm a movement person. So, but now I also love to move physically and I found my, my ways to do that. I, and I've done a lot of dancing, partner dancing, and uh, also uh, other types of dancing, like like samba and like sp specific African dances, also modern Afrobeat, and specifically in later times, uh, I'm, I'm still practicing dombolo, which is a, a Congolese dance. And it's all very. This is all very strenuous stuff. It's very intense. It's like you go mm. to a gym and do a a heavy duty gym class, right? When you go to those classes, those classes are not happening now. There, some of them are happening online, which is again not the same, right? <laughs> so I do a few with a private teacher sometimes here and there, and I, you know, when I had last year, you know, I had to replace it with something. So when I went to Germany, I I borrowed my my brother's bike. He has a really good bike. He has another one too. So I used that bike all the time. I went on bike rides whenever I could. I went to them on on mountain hikes a few times. And uh, I try to, you know, wherever I go, also in Miami, I bought a bike for the times I was there and I just try to make the best of it and compensate the, those other things. But at school, I, I hated physical education and, and a few other things like I didn't love physics or math too much. I loved algebra, but, you know, so, so, but I was pretty good at school overall. And um I, I let my schoolmates copy sometimes <laughs> when it was possible. I'm not, you know, I'm not competitive. So, and I, and I'm, and I'm not very possessive. So, you know, why not share? Uh, 
then as I was going really into the language studies, of course, I was more in my, in, in my element and it was more focused and uh, my I had even better grades and that helped me also. I had a loan, a student loan, and that helped me get some of that uh, forgiven. So that was good. And yeah, and then I always, as I was studying in Munich, uh, I always at the same time also jobbed. I was, I actually started working and I wasn't even allowed. So <laughs> at, at the age of 14, during my vacations, my school, you know, holidays. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was used to, you know, doing these jobs to make a little extra money and finance my my hobbies or my whatever I needed. And while I was studying, my parents were paying for my accommodation for my for my apartment in Munich and for my car. But the rest, uh, I was trying to cover myself. Mm. What's the best job you've ever had? And what's the worst job you've ever had? The worst job I ever had was probably in terms of jobs was probably at at the u.s embassy in munich i only was there for two months and that you know i'm usually persistent <laughs> but it was so boring <laughs> it was very boring and i didn't like the, i didn't particularly like the work environment either i had applied because again i didn't know exactly what my what my options were you know so I just applied and said, okay, it's an international environment. It's great to use my languages, get practice and all of that. I had also translated quite a few books on the side, by the way. But so I, you know, I, I did that. And then, but I said, oh, I'm, I just can't do this. So I started at BCG and I was at BCG for a total of 16 years. I had left and they hired me back for, for the San Francisco office, but that was a really great company to work for. It's, it's a very it's a very fast paced environment. It was often very intense. I worked long hours <laughs> for many years, more in one in some locations than in others, but usually quite long hours. And it was quite challenging, but I grew a lot. They have, you know, I, I don't agree necessarily with everything they do. <laughs> it's hard nowadays to agree with everything a corporation does, right? Because I'm very focused on integrity, but, um, but they, you know, they ask a lot from their employees, but they also give a lot. Mm. So the benefits are great, but also some of the perks and the, the, the environment was just not as stiff as in many other places. So I appreciated that. Mm. And, you know, the job changed over time but i also appreciated the fact that that they saw this leadership and management potential in me at the beginning which i didn't even see and that would have never asked for what i mean that's interesting uh, what what do you think makes a good leadership you know what's what is something mm -hmm. that uh, makes it different because obviously dealing with employees is one thing but then leadership is mm -hmm. you know you have to come across it or you have to it can either inspire you or, or whatever the opposite is to, you know, to, 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 to stop you really, I suppose. Yeah. So the biggest part of leadership or maybe one of the biggest elements is uh, trust building. You have mm. to be able to be, to build trust in all directions. Yes. We all should be able to do that anyway for our own, for the sake of our own success, but leaders need that even more. They need to be transparent in my opinion, they need to be in integrity. 
they have to be courageous leaders. So they have to be able to go against the mainstream or against the stream. Uh, if they, you know, they think that it's required uh, because of integrity hmm. and uh, they they want to lead by example rather than by words of course words are important yes i that's why i also added on conversational intelligence as, as a modality to my coaching practice and my teaching practice and it also flows into something that i talk a lot about and teach about which is called humanizing the workplace so that brings us to the next element or to the next um, leadership trait to call it something which is to be able to humanize the workplace what does that mean to really yes build that trust but also engage uh engage employees organically by you know helping them bring out the best in themselves and inspire them to show us their unique genius rather than holding back or rather than fearing that they might make a mistake or to say something stupid. You know how it is oftentimes, like people, especially more introverted people, they don't always speak up and we we miss out on so much potential, so much talent if we do not give them enough attention. And of course, there's different tools, but there's also certain types of language, more inclusive language that we can use. Hmm. Just you, you mentioned earlier, I mean, what's, what is, what are your core values? What's your soul values, core values, whatever way you see it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Big one is integrity. As I said earlier, I was in difficult situations with, uh, dealing with corrupt authorities, both in Argentina and Brazil as a business owner. And, uh, I, would not give in to corruption attempts, even though it was difficult and it made my life hard and I was fighting it all on my own. For example, in Argentina, I had a bed and breakfast. I had also an investor's visa in both countries. So that what that meant is I had to make a certain investment and I had to open the business within a year, which in, in itself was a challenge because I had to find a house, had it built out, you know, and all of that. And it, that got, with the budget I had and with the location that went a little bit sl more slowly than it could be in some other places. So, but I'm, I managed to do that. And I also uh, applied for the license and everything. And, and I had to employ people by the end of 12 months. And I, and I opened the business. I had an employee. I did everything as I, t I was told, I, you know, it wasn't easy, but I, I, I made it happen. And I believed that I could make it happen. And then what they don't give you right away is the license. But I didn't know that in the beginning. And talking to other bed and breakfast owners, I found out that even though they had been operating for years, they not most of them didn't have a license. So what did they do? Are many of them, and I don't know the details of that because I didn't ask them, you know, but I was just assuming that they were paying those people off that knocked at their door. You know, so the, the city of Buenos Aires sends these people around because they want money, right? They want to be paid under the table. And so, you know, you're supposed to bribe them. So now um, and pay them off. So now these people came to my door and I said, well, I'm not going to pay. You know, I'm I don't. Yeah, I don't have a license because he didn't give it to me. <laughs> I had you know, it's it's like this thing. I had to comply with my investors visa regulations. But if you didn't give me, you know, I have to do one of the two things. I can't wait. Right. Hmm. So. So anyway, so 
So they fined me. Now, what I do, what did I do? I contested the fine and I went to court and I won the the law case. It was, it was not an easy one because again, it was a lot of effort. I had to hire a lawyer who did do nothing for me. <laughs> he just took the money. So I, but I went to the court, uh, to the court hearing and the judge asked me, to tell the story. And I didn't even know how to prepare because my, my lawyer didn't really prepare me. So what, what I did is I, I laid it out and I said this and that. And, uh, and, and so she said, Oh, corruption. Oh, somebody wanted my money to get money. Tell me more. Right. So I did. And so that's how I won that case. I didn't get them, you know, the money back that I invested in the lawyer, but I got the satisfaction that I, that I could win this case. And that I could win against corruption. And then, you know, when I moved to Brazil, it didn't get better. <laughs> it's a very bureaucratic country. You have to pay for every single signature has to be certified. Every page, every copy has to be certified. It's really expensive bureaucracy, lots of red tape and, um, and very intransparent. So you never know when things are done. Although I hired somebody, an accountant to do everything. It was really tough. So Again, you know, then I had this problem with the business partner and I wanted to maintain my my um, residency permit. So I had, you know, what corresponds to an American green card, basically. And uh, I wanted to retain that and renew it when it expired. And because I had an investor's visa, I had to pile up an entire pile of documentation, expensive documentation, pay the fees, of course, also for the process. And then the... Everything was there finally. And uh, I was already, you know, going back and forth between New York and and, 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 and Rio de Janeiro. And, uh, and, and I had to pay for travel every time to sort it out. I wasn't quite sure what's going to happen yet with my life. So I wanted to keep my options open. But uh, they, they, they kept like losing pieces of my documentation every time I went back and there was no phone service. And every time I went back, said, Oh, we don't have this document. I said, but I submitted it. I have all the copies of what I submitted. I said, oh no, but we don't have it. You must have not submitted, you know, this kind of story. And I just noticed over time, eventually they lost my entire documentation and I just lost the opportunity. But I realized also, of course, what was behind, you know, what was the intention behind it. And one day, also this guy who, who was in charge of my documentation said to me, well, here's my cell phone number. Call me afterwards. And I never did, but I took his cell phone number. And, you know, I didn't go after them because it's such a weary process uh, and it costs money again and time and energy. But literally, I, I lost my residency permit because of this practice. And it's just, you know, frustrating, of course, in the moment, again, huge learning uh, to it's just like this growth of resilience, I think, in this case, you know, to say, OK, you know, I can still survive without you. And the person with more inner power in the end is me and not this deplorable guy who needed to, you know, pressure other people to be somebody. You know, oh, here's my position. You know, this is my role. This is the power I have over you. You know, this is not real power. This is power over others is illusionary power, because if I don't really 
play with you anymore. It's gone. Mm. Yeah, it's. I mean, do you, have you found that in many many businesses or this this unfair balance or this uh, corruption? I suppose is maybe the best way of putting it. Yeah. So a lot of businesses have to deal with it. Uh, I also always say, or that's what I learned later, is it's harder to close a business in the, in Brazil than to open it. So you never know when it's really done. I paid somebody twice to do it. I still don't know whether it's really done, frankly. And, you know, but I don't know what to do anymore. I did my best. I did everything. I paid everything. I did all the, all the uh, paperwork. So, but the thing is, yes, I'm not the only one. I know that. And at the same time, as a foreign woman, I was a little bit of an easier target, I have to say, because, you know, there is a little bit that perception that oh, everybody who comes from somewhere else, you know, has more money as a business owner. And that's not always the case. Right. And, and that's just maybe sometimes even a subconscious perception that people have and they don't they're not even aware of it necessarily. And also then just. Uh, you know, the, the, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not wanting to be a victim and saying, oh, I'm a woman. Oh, I'm this. You know, that's not me. That's not who I am. But I'm just observing what's going on and I have to play with that. Right. So. Um, so I, I try to make the best of it uh, and to go back to your to your original question. So this is why integrity I've noticed. I have realized that integrity is one of my top values. Mm. my core values mm. well it makes sense as you say that it resonates to making mm -hmm. sure that it's as yeah life is as fair as possible yeah yeah it's never yeah. fair really i mean you know we know how it works the laws of the universe we come here to this earth to make a certain learning to go through a learning and growth and hopefully we do it in a way that's not too challenging and painful. We learn as we move along, and as we don't, and if we don't learn, we 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 encounter similar situations over and over. If we don't make the change, if we don't transform, and uh, of course, you know, the other the other purpose of our life is, of course, to make an impact. So that's at least how I understand it. It's uh, it's it's actually three things. It's uh, my own growth to learn as a as a soul being in this human form to make a difference to the collective consciousness and subcon you know to end collective subconscious through my growth and to make a conscious impact while i'm here i was just going to say i mean is that your is that your calling is that your ultimate reason for being to make an impact yes so i think most of us want to make an impact in our own way you know, some people are making a huge impact as family uh, elders or as, you know, as parents. <laughs> There's so many ways you can make an impact. It doesn't always have to be in the spotlight. Yeah. But what I do believe is that the more we 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 the more we use our talents that we have brought to this planet for a reason and our gifts and our natural strengths and our you know circumstances in a way as well the more we use that to make an impact the more fulfilled our lives will be yeah that's yes. what i believe
Yeah, no, it's, it's very, very powerful to, you know, to be able to make that impact or to, to, to really sort of step into your calling, you know, it's what, what's, what's the nicest thing someone could say about you? The nicest thing someone could say about me is that I'm, I, I believe that that's, that I'm open-minded and a lot of people say I'm very accessible and it's easy for me to, to create a relationship with somebody from a different culture. Hmm. Yeah. And out of interest, what, what language do you think in? <laughs> Just kidding. It depends where I am. Okay. <laughs> it depends where I am and who I, who I am with. So while I'm on U.S. ground, usually, you know, it's usually English. In Miami at times, you know, because there's so much Spanish, you know, when you speak more with Spanish-speaking people again, I could think in Spanish for a little bit or as I hear it more again. And then as I go to other places, I, it always varies, really. Um, when I was in Spain, I was certainly... You know, I was there, was very focused on Spanish and then also Portuguese. And I was, I was definitely thinking and dreaming mostly in Spanish. Wow. I was very rarely going back to Germany, like maybe once a year, because, you know, at the time it was mm. still a bit more costly for me. Um, and yeah, so uh, I would say that, yeah. And then after a time of being in Germany, you know, it would go back to German, but also because I work a lot in English uh, at this point, occasionally in other languages, but mostly in English, that's uh, even when I'm in Germany, you know, part of it is thinking in English. Mm -hmm. Isn't it bizarre how we all, as you say, you think in different languages and then which one is the one that you yeah. come back to? I find it fascinating that it changes for you. That's, I don't know. It's just very foreign yeah. to me, but yeah. I suppose when you know so many languages and so many things, it would make sense. Yeah. It's also like, you know, when you speak a certain accent in a language, when mm. you move to a country where there's a different accent, you automatically take it on over time. Sure. You know, you might do it in, in the beginning through effort, but uh, over time it just is what it is. I, I went back to Portugal once and I saw one of my uh, former colleagues and 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 I tried to speak European Portuguese again, and I used the, the the vocabulary that I remember because a lot of the vocabulary is sometimes pretty different too, and the grammar is slightly different as well. So I I, I try to do all of that right in a, you know in the, the in this location for this location right. Uh, be, but I had spent time in in Brazil, and it was undeniable. And he said to me, "You cannot deny you were in Brazil, just you know." Just speak whatever. <laughs> and I said, okay. But, you know, of course you're then in that conflict. So is this the one or the other? So you start speaking a mixture of the two combination. And I guess my Portuguese has always been a little bit of a combination now of the two, although the, the, the Brazilian accent is much stronger at this time. Mm -hmm. no, it's, it's, always, it's always fun. So tell me, what, what is, what is the guilty yeah. pleasure for you then? What's, what is downtime or, you know, sort of just taking time out for you? What does uh, that consist yeah. of? Mm -hmm. A guilty pleasure is, well, 
I don't know if it's a guilty pleasure, but it is a pleasure to go to at least as soon as that's possible again to four dance classes a week. And, you know, I'm not the greatest dancer. I started dancing late in life, but I love it. And some dances are easier for me, like partner dances are usually easier for me than other dances, but I love it. And I, I really, you know, have have. It just it's, that type of movement is what really what really is fun to me. They are oftentimes very strenuous, but I can be very you know I can be quite tough with it. And uh, uh, that's one of the things. Another thing is I um, I like to sit under my pyramid sometimes. So I even when I am traveling now, as I'm traveling now, I bought a Stargate pyramid. And I love to sit under my pyramid for my morning routine and for setting myself up for the day. So it is a, I don't know if you've heard of Stargate pyramids, no, I haven't. but they, yeah, they have a, they have a, a, or Russian pyramids. There's a lot of research uh, that has gone into them. And of course, pyramids have always been very mystical and very, you know, mysterious. And they have a lot, there's a reason for this geometry. Right. All sorts of pyramids, but these are like higher pyramids, uh, like more steep, mm -hmm. you know, sides. And it's just like basically a structure that I can disassemble and assemble. And I am carrying it around <laughs> the security at the airport. Sometimes like, what is this? Right. Oh, what's in there? Is there sand in there? What is this? Right. <laughs> so I have to explain it to them. But and it's a bit heavy to carry, but it's still really great. And it has healing powers. It has it, it's supposed to also be great for manifesting, by the way. So, yeah, mm. we'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's always it's fascinating to see what, you know, the different yeah. uh, as you say, I mean, there's a lot about the pyramids. It's yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot there and yeah, mm -hmm. it's, uh, yeah. why not? I mean, uh, I mean do, do yeah. you, would you describe yourself as religious, spiritual? Where do you sit in that mm -hmm. whole thing? Yeah. Uh, so definitely spiritual, definitely not religious. And, uh, to me for the longest time, that was actually, these were two contradictory terms, which they are not necessarily anymore, but I did grow up in a very Catholic setting. And I did not particularly enjoy that. It didn't make sense to me. It didn't make sense to me to have a punishing God. It didn't make sense to me to that people constantly being suffering as part of that teaching. And it, it so much of it just didn't make sense to me. I couldn't figure it out. So when I was, um, you know, I had this conversation sometimes, uh, oh, we should go to church. It was still like that back then. It has changed since then, you know, and the entire family said, but it was that when I was little and I didn't really enjoy that. And uh, we also had two nuns at school who were very mean. <laughs> so I didn't enjoy that either, of course, not necessarily always to me, but also to others. And as an empath, I suffered with them, too. So, you know, that was not not pleasant. Um, and I didn't really understand their motivation. So, yeah, I I really wanted to get out of this. And, you know, back then it was still written in our ID what religion we had. Like it was either usually in Germany, either Protestant or or Catholic or nothing. And I can't remember exactly. I always thought it was at the age of 14, but it might have been at the age of 16 that I could I could legally. Uh, so by law, leave the church officially. 
And I did that. And I, so I've, I filed an application to leave the church and uh, they sent me, I remember this so clearly there was of course no computer. There was maybe a typewriter, but I hand wrote my reasons. It was a four page form and you can't, I could uh, write in all my reasons for why. And I remember adding on another eight pages of re of reasons. So I left the church because so many things didn't make sense to me. The history, you know, the whole missionary stuff, the, the, the crusades, the whole killing in the name of God, all of that. And then the suppression of women, all of that made no sense to me. So then for the longest time, it didn't have really an alternative or a spiritual alternative. And um, I, I now believe, for example, that there's a lot of really great wisdom in all the religions, right? They all have like this, this central idea of, of the together, of the we are all one, but it's not usually taught or preached like that, <laughs> at least not for the most part, although some have changed in the meantime, and some are more moderate than other uh, organized religions. However, you know, it took me a while to really get a better understanding what my spirituality was really about. And um, so I can still talk about God, but I prefer actually to use the word spirit uh, or source. Although, you know, they're exchangeable for me or interchangeable. And, um, and I believe that we all, you know, are one we are all connected in spirit and in energy and uh, we all have a right to our own beliefs of course i will not convert you to anything that i believe but i might share what i believe and i do believe that we come to this planet or to this earth with a specific because of a specific reason we choose to come here i also do believe that we choose the location and the family we're born into and um we do that with you know our purpose in mind so that we can get both the biggest growth and make the biggest impact in that way and then we make out of the situation what we can and some you know make the something big out of a very similar situation and some make nothing out of it and that's our choice so uh, we see very, very, you know, rich or wealthy or whatever, or successful people who grew up in very humble circumstances. And we see very, we see very, you know, people who don't do anything with their lives and they grew up rich. So I think as a soul, this is my, this is my way to take responsibility for my own life and no longer be a victim of circumstances, basically. But I'm not saying you have to believe the same, of course. It's your choice. Yeah, it is, and it should always be a choice, right? That's that's the whole yeah. point of it. You yeah. know, it's we can we can all have opinions and ideas and all the rest. I, I mean, yeah. I find this it's yeah. fascinating all the different beliefs and backgrounds that people come from. But yeah, <clears throat> it's the moment when someone tells me what I should do. It's like exactly. at that point I'm going. Thanks, I'm I'm good. <laughs> but thank you. It's uh, yeah. I, I don't think any religion should step over that boundary, right? Yeah. And I'm, I'm exactly of the same opinion. So I've studied a lot of it. I found it super interesting also to, to get to learn more about uh, Spiritismo, uh, you know, as I call it in, in Brazil. And it's a combination of, of several different directions of, of, of they mix it up with some African uh, religion. They mix it up with spirit, uh, like the, the 
spiritism like uh, you know that came out of france and so on and and it's a combination they also do uh, spiritual surgeries and and other things so it's really really interesting to to see all that and to understand people better by watching and observing and to learn a lot through it as well mm, absolutely mm-hmm. tell me if, if you were to try and describe your fire in the belly in one or two words regina what would, what would they be my my sorry my what if you're trying to describe your fire in the belly in one or two words yes my fire in the belly is to inspire others to find their best selves to bring it to the surface and express it and as i said before everything i do is in the service of freedom so i will always always work in the service of freedom for you to speak up stand out and shine for you to be a bright light in this in in this life and to live a fulfilled life in that way and i want to do this in several different ways i also want to have the freedom to work with you know sometimes with young people as i have done in the past like for example in rwanda i did this project for a week uh, with a young group of people it was super inspiring and i learned so much through it too so i i just want to have the option also to express this fire in the belly in different ways to give it that special spark in different directions you know it's like a fire that sparks in different directions mm. you know? and i think it, it is really again it is driven by freedom love love for freedom and it's driven by curiosity at the same time mm. yeah it's, it's all does about that curiosity, question? It? it does yeah i mean if you were to try and if you summarized it in one word or two words for you what would they be work in the well i don't know it's two words but the work for freedom mm. Not just my own, but other people's. Yeah. As well. We can only be free if other people are free in the end, because yeah. we're all connected. Yeah, we are. We are. Very true. So tell us, where can people find out more about you? Where can they get the book? Where can they reach out and learn more and track you down and follow you all the, all the above? Yes, of course. Thank you for that opportunity. So I have two websites. One is transformyourperformance.com, like my business name, Transform Your Performance. And then I have a second website, which I call my connector website. It's called followregina.com. On that website, you can also sign up for my mailing list. You can uh, get access to a free career accelerator mini course as you scroll down on the page. The link is there. My book is on Amazon, both as both as Kindle and print. And uh, again, the title is Speak Up, Stand Out and Shine. With that title, it should be easy to find it. It's also on my website, though. There's a book page as well with a link. Uh, I have a LinkedIn profile. I'm very active on LinkedIn, Regina Huber. So first and last name. And uh, I have a YouTube channel where I share a lot of free resources in, in the form of video. Feel free to, to subscribe, to share the videos, to, if you like them, give them a thumbs up. I always appreciate that. And again, the channel is called Regina Huber. And then now I'm also started doing a weekly show on winwindwomen.com Wednesdays, 2 p.m. Eastern. If you want to tune into that, there's no pre-registration. You just go online at that time and, and, and watch it. Yeah, and that's about it, I think. Super. Is there a final message you'd like to leave with our listeners? I want to inspire everybody to look and 
to look for and find their inner power. There's nobody who can empower you but yourself. Never dim your light, you know, put that dimmer up a, a notch every single day and, and dare to put yourself in the spotlight in, in, in the in the most far a favorable way, meaning showing us your unique brilliance because we do need that in the world. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Regina, thank you very much for coming on. It's a pleasure to hear all your your travels and opportunities and, and all the uh, sort of support and assistance you're doing for everyone. So well done you and please keep going. Well, that was another great episode of Fire in the Belly. You know, this really wouldn't be possible without a great guest taking the time to share their personal journeys. And boy, boy, sometimes it is personal. It's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that people have been on. We've loads more episodes coming up soon and it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons and successes. So all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly and be the mightiest version of you.